Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a longtime patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Cureleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. Have questions? Google Cureleaf PA or stop by one of our 18 locations across the Commonwealth. This is the Blue White Breakdown. The premier podcast for all things Penn State football. Talk about culture. It's something that should show up in every aspect of your program. It's the Blue White Breakdown. Brought to you by Penn Live. Here are your hosts, Bob Flounders and David Jones. Okay, Penn State football fans, it's time for the Blue White Breakdown. We have some interesting things to get to on this podcast, but I really want to start with... uh, you wrote something over the weekend. You led one of your uh, mailbags with it. It's a let's let's just get some final thoughts uh, together on Taylor Stubblefield, who is now an ex Penn State coach. Marcus Higgins is the new Penn State wideouts coach. James made a coaching change a couple of weeks ago. Stubblefield is out. He was here for three years at Penn State, and you had some pretty strong thoughts. I really I thought that made a lot of sense. Uh, in your mailbag. It's not enough anymore, Dave, to be a great developer of talent. There's a lot more to it in this world. And you think in the end, Jane saw the saw the big picture a little differently than Taylor. Is that accurate to say? Yeah. I'm I may I like Morty Seinfeld, I made some calls. I'll make some calls. I, I'm pretty confident I found out exactly what went down in that meeting. It was a surprise to Taylor Stubblefield. Uh, very much so. I'm, I'm sure of that. And um, he was surprised. He was shocked. And it just it just feels like maybe James looked at it one way and Parker looked at it another way. And James got the final vote. Taylor looked at it another way. You said Parker. That's Freudian slip. Yeah. Yeah. I always keep, yeah, it's Taylor, not Parker. My bad. Well, it's kind of a good Freudian slip because Parker Washington is the epitome of a Taylor Stubblefield wideout, wouldn't you say? Not particularly gifted, not particularly uh, raw talented, but really caught the ball and got better and, and did develop. I think what James Franklin values, sometimes to a fault, and you tell me if you agree, is that he believes if you get the groceries, you can make the dish. So a little Bill Parcells right there. I remember that one, right? It was the Patriots. Yep. Yeah, and, and and the fact is, he they haven't always made the dish with some of the guys, the Juwan Johnson and Justin Shorter. Those were supposed to be gee whiz recruits. Well, what happened to them? Nothing. Juwan Johnson developed some at uh, Oregon. Did I have that one right? I can't remember. Yeah. Yeah, that's correct. Saeed Blacknall is another one that was a little bit spotty. Irv Charles, another one. Yeah, you're you're onto something. The way I look at the wide receiver position, it's really three facets. It's the, the first facet is all about your, your gifts, your, your raw gifts, which is it comes down to size, speed, and spring, the three S's. Uh, can you outrun people? Can you outjump them? Can you, you go through them in traffic, you know, sometimes? Um, Chris Godwin had all those things. That's, that's the dream. But he had something else. That, that many times can be developed, but many times can't. And this is the second facet of being a, a, a really good receiver is just basically catching the ball, making catches out of, and God knows, during the Sean Clifford era, a lot of guys had to, had to catch balls 
outside of their sweet spot. And they, during Stubblefield's reign, they had a, a couple of guys who did that really well in Johan Dotson and Parker Washington. Not all of them, but even, even the bit players caught the ball. But the third facet of receiving, I don't think they did well at, and that is getting open, running routes so that you get some separation. I don't think they did that particularly well, even if you don't have the gifts. If, if recognizing open spaces when they're there, being on the same page with your quarterback, but basically getting open. So, so those are the three. The raw talent, the, the getting, getting open and catching the ball. And, you know, I, I don't think Stubblefield satisfied Franklin in two of those three facets. So this is a guy, you know, so many times when you, you have one guy, you go all the way the other direction. And Marcus Higgins is a 12-year assistant at one school, but that school is in a sweet spot for recruiting. And his, his life particularly has been on the East Coast of Virginia, which is a real sweet spot for talent and recruiting. I mean, he was a childhood friend of Allen Iverson's. Uh, that's where he's from. And I, I'm sure James Franklin is hoping he can get some of that talent out of there. And that, that area has done Penn State very, very well over the years, that eastern half of Virginia. Uh, wasn't Michael Robinson from there? Correct. That is correct. Name some guys from there because I can't think, but you you know. Well, I mean, they've, they've recruited Virginia really well the last five or six years, just not necessarily a wide receiver. They've pulled some really good defensive players, some running backs that haven't panned out, but they were four or five-star talents. You know, even a guy like Brandon Smith, the linebacker, the five-star linebacker, was from Virginia, but that's specifically that part of Virginia. They have recruited that very, very well, but they really haven't. The problem is they got all their wideouts from New Jersey, and uh, that really <laughs> was a problem. But um, you're you're right, Dave. You know, in, in, and you mentioned also. I think that James is very aware of the fact that he looks at if we're going to if we're, we're trying to get closer to Ohio State, and Ohio State's just got all these guys coming in. You know, Brian Hartline has a lot to do with it. But it's also about NIL. Occasionally, it can be about the transfer portal at another position. And all of that, I think, goes together. And maybe that's James was trying to see the big picture and getting Parker to see it. And I think Parker, he could, you could, you could make the argument he was going about his job the correct way, but maybe not the way James wanted, the way that the world's going in college football. Yeah. And also, I think from what I understand, there were disagreements about whom they should recruit. And who who there were basic dis disagreements about the kind of guy you want. So uh, there was a lot of rift there. Um, I, I believe he got along fine. Stubblefield did with uh, Mike Yersich. Uh, I don't think there was any problem there. Although Mike Yersich is known for not necessarily being, uh, he doesn't always get a happy face and works and plays well with others on his gray card. Did you do well on that? By the way, did you? Did you get a happy face in second grade for that? I I, I feel like I did, Dave. I'm a, I'm more curious about you. Oh, I was great. I was great. Okay. Yeah. 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 All I was, right. I was I'm not sure you get. Yeah. I mean, do you, do you think today you would get a lot of happy faces? No, or? no. I get a lot of unhappy faces. Needs improvement. Remember the box that says needs improvement. That's what I would get. <laughs> Stirs the pot. <laughs> <laughs> Agitator. You would have been a great agitator in hockey. You'd be a guy like, I think, you know, Kenny Linsman, somebody like that. You'd be a real pain in the butt to play against. 
And let somebody else fight. Is that what you mean? <laughs> I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I just said you'd be drawing a lot of penalties and putting your team on the power play. <laughs> who are the guys that would instigate and then get out of the way? That's who Claude I would Claude Lemieux, Essa Tikkanen, Kenny Lindsman. There's been a billion of them. <laughs> and then somehow they weren't in the brawl. Yeah, yeah, they very rarely got punched in the face, but they're always they were always like, "Hey, I really like playing with this guy, but you hate to play against him." <laughs> yeah, well, I was that guy in basketball. Yeah, yeah, I was that guy. Yeah. So you think Stubblefield? I, I wonder where he goes from here. I know Penn State fans don't really care, but maybe it's a wake up call for him, Dave. Maybe if he wants to continue on at this level, maybe he'll take. Maybe if 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 what you think really happened with James and there's every reason to believe that it did maybe he'll take it to heart and, and kind of go about things a little bit differently I hesitate to think that a guy who knows how to teach people how to catch the ball will be out of work long uh, I, I think this is a a talking point that's very popular among among the people who control how many stars people get in the recruiting I don't buy it and I don't believe in it um, there are a lot of evaluators who don't necessarily know what they're talking about because it's very easy to be blown away by size and speed and spring, the gifts, uh, because it's very apparent. You can see them. You can't readily see somebody who knows how to teach. You, 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 you see it incrementally. I think he'll be fine. I think Stubblefield will be fine. He'll find work. In, in this day and age, it feels like it might be almost half the battle just getting the right guys on campus. Well, it is. I mean, you got to be able to do both. It's just like a, a receiver. You you got to be able to do both. And if you discount one side of it, or you're just maybe not good at being a salesman, you know, you got a problem. Certain people, I'll give you an example from basketball. Bruce Parkhill was one hell of a basketball coach. I mean, the, the, his greatest moment was probably the 91 NCAA tournament when he had a whole team full of guys who didn't even get to go to a camp, let alone drafted, let alone any, any time in the NBA. They didn't go to a camp. They didn't go to Indianapolis, ABCD, Portsmouth, anything. A bunch, of, a bunch of mutts. And in the first round in Syracuse, they beat a UCLA team that combined roster had 47 NBA seasons. That's how good a, a coach Bruce Car Parkhill was. But he hated selling. He hated selling recruits. He hated the very process of recruiting. So here you see the dichotomy between people who love to teach and people who love to sell. And as you can see from people like Bruce Pearl, if you love to sell, man, you can have a long, uh, abundant life in college sports because there's always going to be a place for you. Uh, I think there's always a place for the other guys. But to your point, yeah. I mean, you better be able to sell because you have to sell not just to recruits. you got to sell to alumni. Now you've got to sell to boosters who will fund your NIL. I mean, there's a lot of people to sell to. And if you can, if you can, it's the same quality that Matt Rule showed in Nebraska. If you can win the press conference, you can sell those people. If you can sell us, you can sell a lot of people. And that's, that's what it's about now, man. It's about the rap. Dave, that's a you just set me up so great. I love that. Uh, speaking of people who love to teach, but maybe not necessarily love to sell. How about our guy Billy O'Brien back in the NFL with the Patriots? I don't know. As the college game has evolved, that way that we're talking about, I don't know that we're ever going to see him back in college because of all the things we just talked about. I think he's a great teacher. 
He's a great X and O or he's a great in-game adjuster. I don't know how much he wanted to do all that other stuff. And I think I think we've seen the last of Billy in college. Well, he loves he loves different things about different games. I mean, he hates the politics of dealing with general managers and the pros for the same reason that Belichick did. You know, he Belichick just wanted he he wanted to be able to get his own talent, mainly, I think, just so he didn't have to deal with the GM. He he wanted to be everything. And Bill found out at in Houston that yeah, you, you don't want to deal with that GM you don't particularly like. You want to be GM, okay. That's a that's a pretty big hat you're wearing. If you if you've got to get the talent. And maybe you're not the best at getting the talent as good as you think you are. Uh, so so there, there are parts of the NFL game he doesn't like either. But granted that, as a college coach, I mean, you're constantly making people happy. And he doesn't want to make people happy who don't play on his football team. He doesn't need that. He doesn't want to make very many people happy at all. You remember when he used to, when he started doing the Friday night thing on the road because it was Joe's tradition and we would meet the coach? And he did that about three times, and he said, "That's that's the end of this shit." No, no, I'm not doing this. <laughs> he had no use for it. it. wasn't that he was a bad guy. It was just like wasted time to him. He didn't didn't want anything to do with it, and he wasn't good at it. And you don't like doing things you're not good at. And and the NFL is when it really comes down to it, it's fewer moments of politics than college football. That's that's really true. Not necessarily with the players who all want to get better because they want to make money, but ever, with everyone else, you know? And so you, there's a little of this, a little of that. It's yin and yang, but I think Bill's the kind of person who um, the grass is always greener maybe a little bit because he forgets how much he hated certain things, and then he gets in them, and he's back and forth, back and forth. But uh, I'm sure he'll do fine. How do you think he's going to do with Mac Jones? Well, the funny thing is, uh, so when, when Saban brought him to Alabama, one of his rehab projects, what uh, the, all the stories I read said, uh, Mac Jones taught Bill O'Brien the Alabama offense, and he, he he gave him a crash course in it, and Bill really appreciated that, and and you know he was able to kind of hit the ground running, but I mean now I mean I think that Bill is dealing with a quarterback that he knows how he thinks, he knows how to teach him, he knows what he he knows how he kind of processes information. If he can do what he did with Matt McGloin, and, and I mean that as a compliment. I, I mean, no, Matt it. I would tell you. Matt would tell you. Yeah. I, think, I just think that you could see Mac Jones look like a different guy at some point next year. Because I, I do think that Bill, very few people know the game, uh, the offensive game, the way that Bill does. And I think that Mac also probably got a little bit of a sense of, uh, you know, I'm going to be dealing with a fiery guy. And I, I just think that I think Mac wants to be coached. And they had they had like defensive coaches coach. I think Matt Patricia was the offensive coordinator last year in New England. It was ridiculous. Um, I'm, you know, only Bill. How, Belichick, could, how could that have worked? Only Bill Belichick could get a mulligan from that because anyone else probably would have been fired. But I think Billy is is in is in a good spot. Um, they're not an untalented team, and I could. I, it's a tough division, right? But I was just I was trying to remember. You're talking about all the things Bill O'Brien didn't like. And it came through right away at Penn State. And one time, rhetorically, he was either on the road at one of those those brief uh, Friday night things, or it might, he might have just interrupted a Tuesday press conference and said, "Hey, you know what? I don't like. I don't like Twitter. Twitter. 
If he can't tolerate Twitter, like what would a Bill O'Brien Instagram page look like if he had one? Like what, what? I don't. I don't think you'd see any dog videos on there. <laughs> you remember he called it Twitter and Facebook. Twitter and first, Facebook. Just, yeah, uh, yeah. Just for the hell of it, I, I think he knew better. He just wanted to say it that way to piss people off. The way you mispronounce names. The way you always say Brett Bilemma just to piss people off. You you call me an instigator. D- did you like to be coached hard, Bob? I, I get the feeling you probably <laughs> wouldn't be like coached hard. Don't huh? you try, I, don't try I, to Woody, don't Woody haze me. Don't do that. We're going to coach you hard. We're going to coach you up. This is the Blue White Breakdown. Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Everyone's journey is different, and we are honored to guide you to the best relationship with this incredible plant. Have questions? Google Cureleaf PA or stop by one of our 18 locations across the Commonwealth. Speaking of the NFL, Dave, I did see in your mailbag you were you were inches away from going four and zero in the uh, with your picks for the divisional round. How about that, my man? You had a, you had all the games pretty much diagnosed the way that they played out, um, and you should have been four and zero. If Mahomes doesn't get hurt, they're gonna they're gonna cover. I think the line was nine. They won by seven, and Peterson kicked a field goal with a minute to go when it was ten. So the big question I think Eagles fans want to know about is. Who's going to the Super Bowl, and how much are they winning by on Sunday? Super Bowl, Super Bowl, Super Bowl. Chance. Eagles are two and a half. I think that I think the Chiefs are one and a half. The Eagles are only two and a half. Only two and a half. I am still the NFL is still. Uh, I'll never be what you are with the NFL because I just don't watch it religiously. But I've been thanks to you because I could do my power poll for an extra day this year, and we got it up Tuesday. I, I started watching a lot more NFL, and I know more. I know more than I used to. I don't know as much as you do. You, I told you I watched that 1970. I'm digressing here, but there's a reason. You are digressing, but it's okay. I watched that 1970 NFC championship game with the intent on doing a retrospective on all the Cowboys Niners championship, where there were now nine of them. Bash the state of the quarterback play. Bash it. Yeah. <laughs> But what Bill O'Brien and these guys do now is just so far advanced, so much full of detail that just so obviously did not exist back then. It's a completely different position. And if you can't be impressed with what Jalen Hurts can do now, you just haven't been paying attention. Uh, I just worry that they run him too much and maybe he calls his own number too much because he's going to get hurt again. And if it's in the playoffs, they are screwed. If they've got two more two more games left, if they go all the way. And it could happen at any time, man. I still prefer, what I, what I was referring back to is that there were no running quarterbacks back in the day of Craig Morton and John Brody <laughs> to, to a fault. I mean, those guys, the, you basically had Roger Staubach and Fran Tarkenton and everyone else just stayed back there in the cocoon. And if it collapsed on them, it collapsed. Or, or they would just throw away some pass willy-nilly into a crowd and it got intercepted. There was so much less acumen. There were, there were there were a lot of guys doing things that, that you would never get away with now. I mean, I saw John Brody, who was an all-star, just throw one horrible pass after another that you wouldn't get away with now if you were a Division three college quarterback. 
so these guys have a lot to process, and they're really, really good at what they do. And Jalen Hurts, I think, is at the pinnacle right now because he he does everything. When they need him to run, he runs. Joe Burrow, too. I just think Joe Burrow is on the other side of the line where he doesn't put his body at risk as often as Jalen Hurts does. I expect – did you say Kansas City is one and a half? Kansas City, one and a half. The Eagles, two and a half. The best quarterbacks right now – in this game are who I have my own idea. Who do you in, 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 in football at this moment, who are the two best quarterbacks? Yeah. Yeah. It's Hertz and Burrow. Yeah, it is. And then they've, they've supplanted Mahomes for momentarily, at least now Mahomes makes plays and makes throws that nobody else can. Um, Jalen Hurts is the closest, but I think Joe Burrow is playing at a pinnacle level right now. And his offensive line surprised the hell out of me. I picked them to cover simply because I thought Buffalo was turning into a tire fire and undisciplined and sloppy, and I thought they were right to get beaten. I didn't buy into the, the, the whole, you know, the chosen team, which is this narrative that it seems to have been floating out there the last couple of years. And he's the next Ben Roethlisberger. You know, well, maybe he isn't. But they've got a lot of loose ends in that Buffalo team. So that's partly why I picked Burrow and the Bengals. But what shocked me was without two starters, a guard and a tackle, a starting guard and a starting tackle, they road graded that team. And that was impressive to me. That was really impressive. Do they get that guard and tackle back this week or not? The Bengals? Uh, they haven't made a decision, but even if they don't, actually, I think they were without three starters, they said at one point. Well, because one of them was injured previously. Yeah, it was it was it was a physical whooping at scrimmage by that offensive line and their defense had Josh Allen completely confused. I like Cincinnati to win outright. Just based on what we've seen, of course, you, you never know what's going to happen in Arrowhead. It's a, it's a crazy place. But if I had to pick, I like the Bengals outright simply because of that offensive line and what Burrow is doing. And I think the Chiefs, not, a, not to the extent of the Bills, but the Chiefs have been a little, a little sloppy, a little wild here and there. And this is not a time for that, man. If you, as we saw in the rack, if you're ready to defend and you're all about your business, you're going to win in the playoffs and in, in, in tough matchups. Eagles, Bengals. Yeah, I got. I think you have to pick the Eagles simply because I think their defense in in that place could be a little overwhelming for Brock Purdy. Don't you? Uh, he he's played really well, and I like his future and the kind of quarterback he looks like. I like guys who sit in the pocket and pick you apart. And I think he can do that, even though he was supposedly Mr. Irrelevant. We get back to guys who are Italian, talent evaluators. By the way, Bruce Feldman wrote a great story on how Brock Purdy was the last guy in the draft and how well, all the mistakes that were made on him. Here's another guy who doesn't have out, outstanding talent, outstanding gift, but, but knows how to figure out the game. I just think he's going to have a lot on his plate in Philadelphia with that madhouse, and it's going to be a madhouse. Dave, real quick, if Bill O'Brien was coaching the 1970 Cowboys and he watched Craig Morton's performance in that NFC Championship game, he would have blown a gasket. <laughs> what would that? What would that be? How much? How many f bombs? How many f? Would Craig Morton even make it through an hour of it? Well, Staubach would have been in in the third quarter, right? He actually came in for like one play. Yeah, see, he only came in because Morton got killed. Morton got crunched in the pocket. Cedric Hardman. 
Oh yeah, Cedric Cedric Hardman, Ray Scott. This is the best part about that was Ray Scott and Pat Summerall on the call. Skip Vanderbunt on the tackle, and the uh, Schlitz commercials were good. And Johnny Mathis sang with you Tony know the whole thing. It was all good. Dave. It was all good. How many times have you watched this? At least like fifty. At least fifty. No, I mean really. How many times have you watched that game? At least fifty. You're kidding me. I'm not kidding you. You're a freak, man. <laughs> hey, I mean, there are worse things out there to be watching, Dave. There's worse things out there to oh, be watching. So so you know all the Schlitz commercials? You got to go for all the gusto you can in life. You only yeah, go around yeah. once. There were some cigarette commercials during that thing. It was weird. Dave, uh, let's, right. you, you mentioned the rack, Dave. So let's close with a little basketball. You were at the Penn State Rutgers game. Penn State was uh, badly drubbed in that game, and you had some strong thoughts about it. I termed it in my headline a curb stomping. That was removed, uh, but I don't care. That's that's exactly what it was. It was it was bad, and Micah Shrewsbury was not happy afterward. I have not well, seen soft. him like this. He was he called out his team. He called out everybody, and as I've said before. I mean, I said it about Brad Underwood at Illinois. He did this early in the season after Penn State went in there and beat them up by 15 points, which was a wake-up call for Illinois. They didn't wake up right away. But Brad Underwood played this card then, and you could only do it, I think you would agree, with a team once or twice a season where you really get into them in public or they tune you out. That's right, you lose them. Uh, this is the second time he's done it. He did it after the Palestra's second half. They were up six on number one Purdue at the Palestra. I was in L.A., so I didn't see that game. Uh, I had to go watch it later. But they played a really good first half in that game. They were up six. They didn't play scared. They were at home. And, th- and they, they didn't play scared at Illinois either. So I think he was really, really pissed off that they acted timid in this game, both on offense and defense. And Micah Shrewsbury is not a guy who's going to abide that. He just is not. And he couldn't control himself. He tried at first. It was really funny. And I'm only the only guy from Penn State there. It's an easy drive for me. Yeah, it's an easy drive. No one, no one covers basketball on the road anymore. And all those guys are up in State College. It's a long drive for them. It's, for me, it's 90, 90 minutes. Uh, it's the easiest drive I have all year. Um, so I'm the only guy there, and I'm asking all the questions, <laughs> which is a weird situation to be in, as you know, especially if the coach you're asking, you can see him seething under the surface. You talk about being an instigator. I'm pretty good at that, as you as you w- w- would know. No. Bill O'Brien. That's, yeah. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm ready to put my fist through the windshield, and to be honest. He, uh, he, he called them soft at first. You play soft on the road in this league, you're, you're, you're going to get your ass kicked, and we lost by 20, and we ran out the door. Um, it, it went on and on and on. If you haven't seen it, <laughs> what, go to my story. I posted the press conference in the video, but I quoted the whole thing, and he was pissed the hell off. So this is the second time that he's, he's been publicly – has publicly shamed his guys. It's a very – uh, it's a tightrope to to walk, man. Like you said, you lose them if you do it too often. But it's late January, and he feels like he has to make a push here, and he can't have this. They they were timid on offense, timid on defense, 
and he can't have it. That was the first time all season they were really outclassed from from front to back, and it hadn't happened before. He felt like he had to take a stand. We'll see what happens. They're four and five in the Big Ten now. They have to stay around the 500 mark. I think they have to go into Chicago at, at the very minimum, nine and 11, probably 10 and 10 in the league. So they're four and five now. They got Michigan coming up um, Saturday. It's their only Saturday game. So I expect them to come out really loaded for bear against Michigan, which is the third place team. It's a pretty good team. Are you going to get the, a chance to see them a couple more times, or are you just going to wait and see how the weather? I don't know. Ask our boss. <laughs> I hey, would I like just, to. You know, I think if you want to go, you just go, man. How about that? <laughs> no, I've done that before. That doesn't work out well for me. Doesn't work no. well? All right. No, it doesn't work out well. See, Dave, that was me instigating, and it didn't work. <laughs> You're the only you instigator t- on this podcast. <laughs> 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 All right. I think the blue-white breakdown is about done. Dave likes the Eagles and the Bengals. He was He should have been 4-0. So I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna give you a three. I don't, I'm not gonna count the, the Chiefs one because he got hurt. So I'm gonna say you were three and zero last week. Let's see if you can get to five and zero. Uh, you did pick the Eagles though, so that's gonna be trouble. Who are you for picking? Some- I need to know who you're picking before we leave. Yeah, I like the Eagles a lot. I like the. I think it's gonna be a low scoring game. The Eagles in a low scoring game, and I do think that the way the Bengals are playing, um, it wouldn't surprise me if they actually uh, pulled away from the Chiefs the way they did with the Bills. Well, it, it, funny things happen, but I think this game here in Philadelphia is going to be a fist fight. I don't see Brock Purdy doing like I can't see them doing like what they did with Carolina and Tampa in the old days back twenty years ago. Uh, uh, the, the, the Jalen Hurts isn't going to let them do what Donovan McNabb did back then. That's just not going to happen unless he gets hurt. You heard it right here on the Blue White Breakdown. We'll be back next week with Dave's analysis on the Super Bowl and all things Penn State football. This has been the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Penn Live.